1: much we love the Lord as we walk in the world, our feet get dirty. And what does Jesus want to do? First John 1, 9 is primarily written to believers, not unbelievers. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What is it exactly specifically, even though there's all kind of applications, but what is it exactly that Jesus is pointing out here that he wants to sanctify these disciples in, to cleanse their feet so that they're not like the world? I'm convinced it's
0: the very act He's performing. The disciples walked with Jesus, and even their feet were dirty. In today's message, Pastor Danny teaches on the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, an act of true humility and love. Did you know that you too have dirty feet? No matter how much you love and walk with the Lord, if you walk in the world, your feet get dirty. Jesus humbled Himself that you and I might understand what it is to be made clean. The Lord came to cleanse you of all the dirty things, that you might be more like Him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 28, as he begins his message, The Greatest in the Kingdom.
1: chapter 28, I don't commonly do a series uh, topically, but there's certainly nothing wrong with doing a series, and a series has begun, and it started from God calling my attention to two statements in Acts chapter 28. The first is near the end of verse 23. Uh, He, Paul, witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. The second is verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, and the two are connected. The teaching about Jesus Christ is connected to teaching about the kingdom. I can't go back over all the things we've covered, uh, but this part of the Lord's Prayer uh, is applicable for the theme of the kingdom, and I pray the Lord's Prayer pretty much every morning. So say this section of the Lord's Prayer with me again. You ready? Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and one of the questions we asked early on is what is the kingdom of God and as I thought and prayed about this simple statement but I think it really says it uh the kingdom of God is a place where God reigns supreme and Christ is king where God reigns supreme and Christ is king In regard to where the kingdom is, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. We mentioned Acts chapter one, when Jesus, after his resurrection for 40 days, appeared to his disciples and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And then he ascended back up into heaven, the thief on the cross. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Where's paradise? That's where the kingdom is. Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says he was caught up, whether in the body or out of the body, he says, I don't know, but he was caught up to the third heaven, the third heaven. He says he was caught up to paradise. It's a real place. That's what I want us to really understand. It's a real place. It's just as real as this, where we are now, just much better paradise. There's a real throne there. The Father seated on the throne. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. All the saints from Adam and Eve on, those that look forward to the coming of Messiah and those that have gone and look back at the Messiah who has already come, they're in the kingdom right now. Those who have died, they're in the kingdom. My grandmother's there. My mother's there. They're in a real place. They're not phantoms. They're not ghosts. They are spirits, all right? One day they'll get a new body, but they can see. Spirits have formed. Angels are spirits, All right? Angels are spirits. And we're spirits, really. Somebody said, we're not spiritual being, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. All right? And that's why, you know, I was talking to some people the other weekend out here. and uh, One lady said, I'm going to be 86 or something like that. She said, but I, I don't feel, you know, older. I said, because your spirit doesn't age. Your spirit doesn't age. Your body ages, but your spirit doesn't age. All right? So it's a real place. It's a real place. Jesus is there. The Father's there. Uh, The New Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, it's there. That's the capital of the kingdom, all right? Real streets of gold, real gates of pearl, et cetera, et cetera. It's a real place. Now, we are representatives of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, the local church and believers, Christians. We are representatives of the kingdom, Okay. And last week we looked in Matthew chapter 13 at the parables of the kingdom. Those parables have to do with, especially have to do with the kingdom of God on earth, the local church, and some of the things we learn from those parables. First of all, we learn that the parables are for the purpose of people understanding the truth in the parable, not trying to hide the meaning, trying to show it so everybody can see it so you can make a right decision and right decisions in life based on the truths of those parables. One of the parables certainly teaches that only God ultimately knows who are his and who are not in the earthly kingdom here on earth. All right. There are some people probably in this service. Now understand what I'm saying. Probably some people in the service, you're in church, but you're not part of the kingdom because you've never been born again. Unless you're born again, Jesus said, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus knows ultimately who are his and who are not. Judas was the great example of that. Nobody knew, but Jesus, that Judas had never been born again. Uh, There's yeast or leaven currently mixed in with the kingdom here. I gave you an example of a local church in our community, and that certainly represents leaven. And they say they're serving the same God, the same Jesus. And several people commented on the two parables, the pearl and the treasure in the field. And a lot of times those are taught as that Jesus is the pearl and Jesus is the treasure. No, 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 no. We're the pearl. We're the treasure in the field. We never bought the field. The field is the world. Jesus bought the field. Jesus redeemed the world so that men might be saved. And so we're the pearls. We're the treasure. Wonderful. It tells us how much God values us and how much he loves us. And at the end of the age, uh, the parable, two parables especially, taught us that at the end of the age, God will separate those who are part of his kingdom from those who are not. He will, just as he separates the sheep from the goats. All right, now today, our focus on the kingdom takes us to John's gospel, chapter 13. So grab your Bibles, John chapter 13 and verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, so he knows the cross is imminent. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's the 2011 New International that I'm teaching from. Uh, I stopped teaching from the 1984 New International because they stopped printing them. I'd still be teaching from that if they were still printing them. But the old NIV in 1984 says he showed them the full extent of his love. We'll come back to that. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, Knowing that God had put all things under his power. Now he does this. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. There is not a more colorful character in the Bible than Simon Peter. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And here goes Peter. Here he goes. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my my head as well. In other words, give me a whole bath. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. And so already now, you're going to see the spiritual significance to this practical significant event. And thing that Jesus does. Those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you're clean, though not every one of you. And we know who he's talking about. They didn't know who he was talking about. He's talking about Judas. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So there's a spiritual significance here as well as a practical one. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you continue to study them. Bring your Bible. Not what he said. He said, You'll be blessed if you do them. If you do them, you'll be blessed. That's a promise. Help me out here. Come on now. Anybody here ever had your feet washed by somebody else? You ever had your feet washed by somebody else? Raise your hand. Dave, never? Really? You have? I knew you had. My memory's going, but as far as I can remember, only two times for me. Juan was a leader early on in Calvary Chapel. He had had some issues and we had dealt with those and uh, the issues had caused issues between he and I and uh, the issues had been dealt with. As far as I know, we were reconciled. He invited me over to his apartment uh, for dinner. Neither one of us married at the time, so it goes way back. And uh, we had dinner at his apartment and after dinner, we're sitting around uh, his little living room chewing the fat. He disappears for a few moments. He comes back. He's got a basin of water and a towel And he said, Pastor Danny, I'd like to wash your feet. I let him, but I'm going to tell you, it was just very weird. (laughs) I'm, I'm just being honest with you. It was just weird for me. Second time was at one of the conferences over in Merritt Island, Pastors Conference, and a couple of associate pastors with us and their wives were all standing at the same motel. And this one wife wanted us to meet together before the evening meeting. And so we met in, uh, I think it was my wife and I's room, and we all met there. And then this pastor's wife said, I felt the Lord uh, led me, and I, I think we, the wives, should wash the feet of you, our husbands, the pastors. And so we let them. But it was weird for me. It was just, I mean, it was just weird. Now, you say foot washing is weird? I, look, I believe it has to be translated or it should be translated into the culture of the day. I'm not saying don't wash feet uh, and don't do that as a spiritual thing, you know. I'm not saying don't do that. Just don't invite me. Now, you ever been to a foot washing service at a church? You ever been to a foot washing service? Okay, did you wash your feet before you went? Uh, yeah, you did, didn't you? wash your feet before you went. Why? You don't want them to smell your feet. You know, there are more sweat glands in the feet than any other part of the body. Did you know in families, usually family members know whose feet smells the worst. I know. I know whose feet in our family smells the worst, but I love her and I'm not going to tell you which kid it is. (laughs) We have things today. I have two bottles, odor eaters, foot powder. I actually, I have two of these because when one gets low and this one's very low, I have a second one. I make sure I got a backup. When that one starts to get low, I get another backup. All right. I always got two. I just yesterday uh, emptied from this container into one of my tennis shoes, uh, lots of powder, letting it sit there. Why? Because my feet stink. Because they sweat a lot. You think it's one thing to wash feet in our culture, but we have things like odor eaters. Washing feet in this culture They walked pretty much everywhere they went. They wore sandals. And the same path and the same road that you walked on, guess who else walked on those paths and roads? The goats, the sheep, the cattle. And they didn't have the doggy park rules, you know. You didn't require to bring a little baggie, you know. And you're not paying attention and squash, and You just get, you talk about foot washing. I wonder which disciples' feet took the most humility to wash. He knows Judas. He knows his heart. He knows he's a devil from the beginning. He knows he's going to go out and betray him this very night. He washes his feet. Peter, he knows Peter is going to three times deny that he even knows him, even cursing to try to prove his point. Most scholars, and I think they're right, believe Peter as this gruff, large, gruffy fisherman. I think he had big feet. I picture Peter's wearing size 13 triple E sandals. And the only time he changed the sandals is when he's taking one foot out of his mouth. I went online. I looked at a couple of brief videos from Discovery Channel show Dirty Jobs, hosted by uh, Mike Rowe. Uh, but the things there were just so gross. I thought, I had, I'm not going to use those as illustrations. We translate it into the culture of the day. Now, years ago, our first youth pastor here at Calvary Chapel from John 13 and the foot washing Jesus of disciples, uh, he had an idea I thought it was brilliant. They had a car wash and uh, they washed people's cars, but they take no money for washing the cars and every car they'd wash. They'd share that their motivation for washing the car was the same as Jesus washing the disciples feet because the main mode of transportation in this day was to walk. What's the main transportation in our day? It's an automobile. And so they wash cars and they shared Christ every time they washed a car and they take money. I thought it was brilliant. But the application uh, just goes far and wide. I mean, so many applications of the foot washing here. My friend Peter Lord pastored years over in Titusville, Florida. He says now that he's retired, he's pastoring more than he pastored when he was getting paid for it. But I thought it was great years ago. He was an example to me and still is because you know what he did as a minister, as a full-time paid pastor of a successful church, he got one of them Roto-Rooter things and you got something in clogged, you know, in your toilet, in your sewer, whatever, you know, and he'd come over and he Roto-Rooter it. I thought that's a great example and application of what Jesus did here. I mean, it's stooping low. Our former elder, Lang Holland, his wife, uh, Lang's a big old bulky guy. And Lang said, I can't reach my toes. I think he was fibbing, uh, you know, just to get his wife to trim his toenails. His wife trims his toenails. Several times over the years, I said, you know, Lang's wife trims his toenails to my wife. I said that to my wife. But at this point, my wife has not reached that level of maturity or humility. (laughs) Pray for her. You know, it could be, you know, it's not your normal thing maybe. Maybe your wife does the most of the diaper changing. But, you know, hey, you want to wash your feet? Go change the kid's diaper. Take out the trash. Mop the floor. Whatever. Vacuum. Whatever. There's so so many applications. D.L. Moody, after he started the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago... Uh, In the late 1800s, some uh, visiting pastors from Europe came and stayed at the Bible Institute. Now, in that day, it was common practice in Europe that if you stayed somewhere, you put out your shoes before you go to bed, and the hall servant or the maid, whoever, would clean and shine your shoes. Well, we didn't have that kind of custom here, but Moody knew the custom. He saw the shoes. He told some of his ministerial students about the custom uh, back in Europe, and he didn't say to them, you should do this. He just told them the custom. And he thought, maybe the Lord will encourage them to do this. Well, nobody did. And so Moody gathered up all the shoes himself, went to his room, and he cleaned and shined all the shoes of the visiting pastors from Europe. And it would not have become known if not in the middle of cleaning those shoes, a friend knocked on his door. And when he opened the door, the friend saw what he was doing. And the word got out. There's a practical significance. There's a spiritual significance. What's the spiritual those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You've been washed. You've been cleansed by faith in Jesus Christ. But no matter how much we love the Lord, as we walk in the world, our feet get dirty. And what does Jesus want to do? 1 John nine is primarily written to believers, not unbelievers. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. From all unrighteousness. What is it exactly, specifically, even though there's all kinds of applications, but what is it exactly that Jesus is pointing out here that he wants to sanctify these disciples in, to cleanse their feet so that they're not like the world? I'm convinced it's the very act he's performing. The very act of washing their feet. These guys had issues. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Luke records this event from John 13, not the foot washing, but the dinner. The final Passover meal before Jesus goes and dies on a cross for the sins of the world. And Luke chapter 22, verse 24, here's what it says. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And if you want to know the title of the message today is simply this related to the kingdom. Who's the greatest in the kingdom. Who's the greatest in the kingdom here on earth. Jesus said to them, the Kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them, call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves for who is greater. The one who is at the table, Or the one who serves. Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Which tells us he said this and their argument happened after he washed their feet. After he washes their feet. They argue (laughs) over who's the greatest in the kingdom. And it's not the only time they did it. Mark's gospel chapter 8, Jesus is beginning to tell his disciples what's going to happen after this last Passover meal at Jerusalem, that he's going to be killed. Three days later, he's going to rise again. They didn't catch that. Verse 31 of Mark chapter 8, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter, here he goes again, took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They left that place, passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They'll kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? And they didn't know he knew, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Mark chapter 10, verse 32 They're on the way up to Jerusalem, Jesus leading the way. The disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death. We'll hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he'll rise. Then James and John, (laughs) he's telling them repeatedly what's going to happen to him. But instead of them being concerned about him, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Let one of us be number one in the kingdom and the other number two. Besides you, of course. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptized I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink. They would die martyr's death and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the 10 heard this, get this. When the 10 heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Why? Because they want those places. And Jesus called them together, and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. In other words, don't, you're not to be like that. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for men.
0: While Jesus was on earth, he talked a lot about the kingdom of God, but what does this mean for you today? Well, in this series, Pastor Danny looks to scripture to help you further understand what God has in mind for his kingdom. How does it affect you in this moment? What does it mean for you in the future? As you continue to listen to this series, we hope you gain a greater understanding of God's intent for your part in his kingdom. We're thankful that you've chosen to tune in today to the Living Word. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series, visit ccfstpete.church. Feel free to download or share these teachings with others. You can also visit our YouTube channel. You might be interested in looking back at some previous services that are there as well. Subscribing to our YouTube channel will allow you to be notified as soon as we post anything new. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship for a time of worship and Bible study. You can find out more by going to our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, we offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click the link in the menu. Thanks so much for tuning in today to hear from Pastor Danny, right here on The Living Word.